The song opening up today's show is not from the movie Moana, but it is. it does reference water, and water was a, a big component to that movie. And one of the people behind the water that you saw up on the screen, if you saw it, was Mr. Marlon West. And uh, Marlon was a visual effects supervisor on the film, and just uh, just an amazing, amazing guy, amazing artist, and uh, lover of music. So he recommended that song to me, you know, recommended a few few different songs. Uh, he enjoys the Black Keys. He enjoys just a plethora of music, as you'll witness on his Spotify playlist. So I, I've included one of the Spotify playlists, and he's just very passionate about music. And he's, he's also passionate about just being a great citizen of the country and uh, raising awareness and getting a conversation started on uh, what can often be a difficult topic. And uh, he has, he has uh, I'll call it a campaign, because for, you know, throughout this year, every day he has performed push-ups in relation to the number of, uh, of deaths from, from guns the prior day. He calls this one for each, and um, his motivation behind that was the 22 Kill campaign, which was a, a campaign to raise awareness for veteran suicides in 2016. So this is his way of getting a conversation started and um, I, I think when we sit down to listen, we'll realize that some people's views are very similar to our own. And, um, you know, check that out. He also has a, a lot of great stories uh, just in regards to animation. He started working for Disney back as, as a trainee during the, uh, the Lion King era. And, and has a great story where he talks about how he dropped everything in Chicago. Had, had a really good job just doing more like corporate animation, industrials, and uh you know, when talking with one of the creators of many of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you know, Scooby-Doo and uh, Flintstones and all those great cartoons, he just um, decided he had, to, he had to make the move to L.A. and jump to the big leagues. And eventually he got to Disney. He's been uh, an animation uh, or visual effects supervisor on Frozen. You know, he uh, just began working on Frozen 2 recently, which will be out the holiday season of 2019. It's just, it's a cool guy, man. It's got a great vibe, and I'm just really honored to uh, have been able to sit down and chat with him while he was in town visiting his family and his uh, his amazing brother, Tony West, who, if you haven't listened to Tony's episode of the podcast, check that out. Tony has done done great work to uh, create awareness as well, and um, Mama West is is definitely proud of her boys. They've, you know, she raises two amazing, amazing uh, men and amazing citizens. Conversations can raise our awareness, and I think we can all come together with a solution. May not be the easiest thing, but something that we have to do. Um, I'm ever grateful to my sponsors, including Dr. Mark Holland, a great friend, great man who's who's looking to you know do what he can to keep our spines healthy and and uh, have that conversation about healthcare, have that conversation about. Alternative methods. Um, it's not always about uh, taking a pill. Sometimes that's what we need to do, but uh, it's about being aware of the options out there and looking at the many options available. And chiropractic care is is one of those options. But often a chiropractor studies just uh, many different solutions and is just aware of of some different things going on. Mike Albashan of Premier Insurance. Mike is aware of just different options of insurance out there and can help you find the best one that suits your needs, give him a chance. Give him a call, and he'll look into uh, some good options for you and, and allow you to choose 
what'll work best for you. Also want to thank Mr. Stephen Walden, who is just doing amazing work with charity and is definitely one that, uh, you know, one to have a conversation and sometimes talk about the things that aren't the easiest things to talk about. I know we've had different conversations just about uh, anxiety and depression and things like that. You can, you know, hear a lot from from Stephen on uh, on the podcast. He's been uh, the most frequent guest, and so check him out. Uh, you know, he definitely he puts it out there as he wants to help people. Uh, again, the featured song was uh, from Fela Kuti called uh, Water No Get Enemy. And uh, check out uh, Fela's music on uh, Spotify, on uh, wherever you get your music. I'm really grateful to Marlon to, you know, to increase my awareness on on some different music that's out there. And I've always been a fan of world music and so I'm looking forward to getting on to Spotify and creating some of my own playlists to share some of the music that I love and some of the great musicians that, that I've been able to meet. And hopefully one day I think I'm going to maybe have a, like a monthly showcase at, at, uh, at my home and, you know, just keep, keep music alive, you know, keep music, um, on the forefront, keep it relevant. Just, just, you know, people just to sit and really listen. And I think that's what we need to do. Sit and really listen. You can follow me, KenCalcaterra.com, social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. But KenCalcaterra.com is the main place. Sign up for my mailing list. I'm, I'm still working on getting that out there. I uh, have to step that up. But, um, you know, definitely just want to share cool things, uh, you know, cool projects of people who I've been really blessed to speak with and feature on, uh, on this podcast. So thank you so much for support and listening. Here he is, the amazing animator and storyteller, filmmaker, Mr. Marlon West. Marlon West, welcome to uh, to my studio here. Thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thrilled to be here. Yeah, so um, you know, one of the things I'm doing with with this podcast, it's just nice to have these experiences and almost like collecting these conversations. So I was uh, fortunate enough to have one with Tony. I've known Tony for about 20 years now. Oh, wow. And uh, it's an honor to be able to talk to his, his older brother as well. Oh, cool. So what That's was it like growing up with Tony? <laughs> <laughs> it was a delight in every way, every measurable way. Um, Tony and I have always been really close, um, close in age, like only like two years apart, almost like, two, you know, within four days of each other. We're both March kids. And, uh, you know, we argued like any other brothers, but, you know, we always kind of like teamed up against any any cousins coming from the outside or neighborhood <laughs> kids. And, yeah. and I don't know, in a lot of ways, I think Tony would have been like more cut out to be the older brother. He's a very, has a very strong moral yeah. compass and um, a little taller than me. And, you know, he's, you know, very, he's, he's got a scra- natural scrappiness that uh, I don't have. But, but he's, he's a very, he's a top notch brother and a, and a fine uncle to boot. That's fantastic. And so, how many how many kids you have? I have one. Okay, I have one daughter. And then Tony's pretty close with your daughter. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's very, really cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great guy, and he's just uh, he's just such a great craftsman as a cameraman. He's an incredible filmmaker. His he is film indeed. project is is wonderful, and just the time you put into it. Yeah, yeah I like ca- how he started off as a cameraman on that, and ended up as the producer, writer, and director of it. Yeah, and he did some editing. Yeah, and so the editor of it. Yeah, so yeah, it's just wonderful. 
One thing he had talked about is how encouraging that your parents were growing up on in you guys being outspoken, um, you guys getting a good education, mm-hmm. having a, a good awareness of what's going on in the world, and they were very supportive of your you know just artistic efforts. Uh, just talk about that. Your mom was a school teacher. Is that correct? No. Um, Neither of my parents are educators. They're like working people. My mom was like an executive secretary, and my you know my dad that was a wholesale liquor salesman for most of my childhood. Drove a truck for, for Nabisco when I was a real okay. little kid. Um, so I mean, they come from like working class people. They would probably you know you and I probably say we have careers that you know they had jobs. That, yeah. And. Um, but it didn't stop them from um, encouraging this foolishness of me wanting to be a filmmaker or animator. Um, they bought me a movie camera, at, you know, for my twelfth birthday, and uh, and never was there any type of like eyebrow raising of like um, you know come up with a job that pays. You know, never did they question it uh-huh. at all. They were like full speed ahead. You know, and and it, you know, I was a little older, so I was kind of running ahead with this stuff, and and Tony, you know, kind of followed suit in his own way. But yeah, they were always super duper supportive. And so, twelve, you had the Super Eight camera. What, what kind of what kind of films were you making at that point? Well, you know, I um, so I, I'd start off. I wanted to do like live action films starring you know Tony and kids from the <laughs> kids from the neighborhood, and you know, I had all these high hopes of you know of uh, make, making films in you know with my with my neighbor kids and schoolmates and you know either people wouldn't show up or they had their own ideas i wasn't like an authoritarian that kind of like mm-hmm. director yeah, yeah and so these these little like movies would fall apart so i i kind of scaled everything down to like all these action figures and things i had and uh, around the house and gi joe and and you know marvel and dc superheroes and suddenly like my production value just like shot up like uh, suddenly, I had the, all I had all these jeeps and vehicles and guns and monsters, uh, Universal horror monsters, Frankenstein and Dracula and Superman and Batman and GI Joes of all ilks. So I started making these like stop motion films, and you know this is before the you know internet or anything like that to to even be able to look up how to do any of this stuff. All I I had a clue. Based on looking at books, seeing pictures of like Willis O'Brien and Her- Ray Harryhausen, um, animating what looked like to you know like when I was a second grader to like toys at work, you know, we're moving toys one one frame at a time. So, I, you know, I had the wherewithal to kind of put these things on a stand and like point a camera at them and pull the trigger of a Super 8 camera and then move them a little bit more and then pull the trigger again. And uh, but you know but I was like <laughs> so it was it was like yeah three frames four frames yeah. eight frames you know so it it was more like a like a staccato slideshow okay than, yeah than animation when these things would come back from the photo mat because you know we'd send yeah. them out <laughs> we'd send them I should be in my old man voice <laughs> <laughs> yeah you had to think, you had to take your films and sit, sit it away and come back. Yeah. Two weeks later, <laughs> and uh, and I was, you know, in all these films, these initial films, you know, were just like lessons in like in managing disappointment because it, they were nowhere near as like smooth and cool looking, and, you know, and and sometimes like they would fall over, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm mean, like, you got like a G, you know, I got GI Joe standing, and then you know, he just he just topples over, like in you know, in the shot, and he just <laughs> pops back up. So, yeah. But a great lesson in the craft, and just looking at it, and just I guess a discipline. It was yes. spending that time. <laughs> it was a to, lesson to in, move those definitely. It's it was a lesson in tenacity. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, indeed. Very cool. Sorry, you're, so you're making those. You started that. What was that around twelve? You said I started. Yeah, I started making these like official little films like when I was twelve, uh-huh. and, I, and they probably started getting like relatively good, like where I would show people that uh-huh. it wasn't my family. By the time I was, you know, like sophomore, junior in okay. high school or something like that. And, you know, along the way, you know, there was like there was like Super 8 magazine. That was a magazine that came. It was out. And, um, and there was a couple of other magazines I got my hands on that where I, re- I discovered um, like a cable release, you know, like professional photographers. Still, still photographers would use them all the time. Um, just when I w- don't touch the camera. But. You know, I, I got one with a long cord that I could actually, put, you, you know, use on my Super 8 camera. Screw it into the side. Never noticed that was there until, I, you know, until I... Mm-hmm. And um, and that allowed me to be able to do, like, one frame at a time. And that's when things got you know, smoother. Nice. And did you go into, uh, when you went into college, was, you know, you, you knew at that point you wanted to be an animator? Or were you still I knew discovering I, I, things? I... I, 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 I <laughs> I wanted to shift to you know making live action films yeah. in in college, which which I did, but I took animation classes as well, I, you know, because the the animation when I was like a teenager was like a way to make films, um, you know, on on a budget or just make what I had mm-hmm. in mind without involving anyone else. And then when I got to college, I felt like oh, I find all these like minded people and we make these live action mm-hmm. films, and I did, and. And, you know, a lot of the work going on in Chicago was commercials and industrial films, you know, in the mid-80s when I graduated. And the, the entry-level films as a, as, you know, in film of being a PA or an assistant editor, you know, which is what a lot of my classmates did. And a lot of them went on to greater, great things. They're cinematographers. They're full-on editors. Um, they just seemed so boring to me. And I and so I started doing animation just because I liked drawing. You know, I'd rather draw all day than stand around waiting for somebody to tell me to sweep something up or go get something on a set for on a 14-hour day. And um, so then I just stuck with animation. I thought even that might be temporary, but mm-hmm. it, 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 it has not been temporary. Mm-hmm. It's, it, has been, it has been my life. <laughs> and so you moved up to the ranks, and now you're at Disney. Mm-hmm. Which is a great place to be. They're, I mean, creating incredible films. They've always been pioneers. Yeah, it's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful experience. I mean, I've been there through um, several eras. Even though I've been just celebrating twenty-five years there, and so I started off on the Lion King, um, and that was a real heady experience. You know, it was the first movie I really worked on that actually people went to go see. You know, because I went, to, I worked on a lot of, like. Um, unseen classics or just downright lousy <laughs> films, <laughs> and um, and they're not any easier to make than a good movie. Like no one is going like, oh, this movie is lame, so we're only going to work half days, or um, yeah, if we're going to take everybody's going to take a two-hour lunch because this movie's 
lousy. <laughs> like, you know, everybody works. Every, the worst movie I've ever seen, people really worked hard on. Yeah, you have to work hard. You have to put the work in. Yeah. You, but so, it, so, it, so it was cool to work on a film, yeah. to work that really hard on something that people were, uh, were, were, were thrilled. Yeah, about. when you believe in it and yeah. when you believe in the vision of the director and you have that communication because yeah. it's, it's like anything, whether it be a baseball team or an animation team, you know, you get the, get the wrong actors in play, actors as far as, uh, yeah. you know, people you're working with or the wrong mm-hmm. wrong teammates and somebody sours it. It just, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a horrible experience. I mean, um, you know, at one point you worked on Meet the Robinsons. Yes. And yeah. that was a, a film my buddy Steve Meyer worked on. So I saw that. I don't know oh, if, yeah. if you worked directly with him or not. Yeah, or, Steve. yeah. Yeah, just a great guy. He's in London now. Yeah. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he just he just made that jump from DreamWorks to uh, another company. He's working on a project he can't tell me about, mm-hmm. but uh, now he's a supervisor. So he's he's made that jump and he's really excited about the opportunity and That's and cool. all that. So yeah, I know when I when I looked at your IMDb page, I saw that and was like, oh yeah, I know you yeah. guys were connected on social media. That was, uh, yeah, that was our second and. Um, CG computer generated animated film um, after Chicken Little was the first and um, so you know it was transitioning from like hand drawn films which is what I had done for you know, all of my career up until Chicken Little you know, and there were some digital elements of hand drawn films that I kind of worked on I could kind of see the handwriting mm-hmm. on the wall where things were going and um, so it was Chicken Little Meet the Robinsons and um, and then I went I went back to 2D to when um, um, Disney acquired Pixar and John Lasseter and Ed Catmull came in and and started um, leading both our studio and Pixar and um, they kind of brought 2D back. It was a, it was a brief run. So I worked on totally spacing out was it Milan uh, no was, no actually was it? It, it was uh, Princess and the Frog oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah Princess and the Frog and and Winnie the Pooh how could I forget Matiana <laughs> so I so like while most of the studio was working on on a, what uh, turned out to be Bolt it was then American Dog for a little while but it was yeah Bolt. Steve it, was, it was on a, Bolt yeah and um, I worked a couple of years on 2D again while well, most of the studio was working in, in CG. And then I came back to it when uh, stopped doing hand-drawn films again. Mm-hmm. Describe the difference, I mean, because a lot of people don't understand the process of a hand-drawn film versus a, a computer-generated film. Well, at the beginning of it, it's exactly like, you know, it's still you're doing storyboards, you're, you're designing characters. Um, so all that viz dev kind of front-end script writing is exactly the same. Um, but a computer-generated film exists, like in, in the computer, several computers, mm-hmm. several, and um, so a character that's actually animated and is is actually sculpted, you know, usually in ZBrush these days, um, and then rigged, um, given musculature, and and then it gets animated by character animator. Um, there's there's artists that do the overlap on the clothing and the hair. Um, you know, the so, texture, you know, the texture. So you have, look, so yeah. you have like the, the look, look artists to actually do everything from bricks to skin and fur. Um, and then there's effects artists like myself to do explosions and 
fire and water and rinse. But all these things are actually being um, manipulated and juggled in, like digitally with a keyboard and mouse mainly. Um, Hand-drawn film is very much like what they were doing at the very beginning of animation when Disney first started its thing, at least as far as animated features are concerned. Um, you know, a, you know, artist sitting in front of like a piece of paper and actually drawing out what he or she has in mind, and it goes to a cleanup artist, which is the kind of the final image you would see on screen. Those cleaned up lines, because every artist draws in a different way, um, and then the layouts. So we have layout in CG as well, where your you know cameras are being pointed at the characters, where the scenes are being blocked out, and you know with um, lenses that pretty much match live action lenses. Um, the layout in hand drawn film is drawings but and then things are broken out into overlays and underlays and things like that but it's it's also camera moves it's also saying the camera the character is going to start here and walk over there or leap or fly and the camera's going to pan with them all those things are layout and then now it's all, all created in the computer so it's a little easier you don't have the in-betweeners who because at one point the animators would have the main action and then you had somebody else that was creating i guess those elements to get to that main action. yeah i don't know if this ever gets any easier um you know because a lot of times people ask me that all the time so is it easier and it, it, it it's harder because you just you're just pushing on the art and the technology more and more um yeah it's you know even like even when i was still doing 2d we were do, you know we were scanning everything digitally and so that was going to be easier, but <laughs> um, but then you just make more complicated scenes with more layers because you know when you have like a an asset you know when you have cells on, on an animation camera looking down you know you had a finite amount of pieces of plastic you can put down before the ones on the bottom the color starts shifting quite a bit or you or actually it may become out of focus relative to the, to the things that are on top of it and so you were limited physically by how many pieces of acetate you could put down on an animation stand. But digitally, you can just lay digital image on top of digital image on top of digital image. And so we had hundreds of passes of things, of overlays and underlays and characters on top of characters and pieces broken in, you know, pieces of a character broken on at different levels and all sorts of things that became was not easier because you just threw more at it because you had that at your fingertips. Um, and so that's the same thing working digitally. Um, you know, if you look at um, Moana versus Meet the Robinsons that you mentioned, you know, I think Moana's a little more sophisticated looking film as far as the textures, the believability of the acting, the environment, the, the effects, every you know. I mean, I really love Meet the Robinsons. It looks really cute, but you know, these the the the, the technology just kind of keeps an artist and artistry just keeps moving, keeps keeps moving forward. To quote Meet the Robinsons, yeah, it just you never. I mean, as proud of I am as Moana right now, a film I worked on most recently. I know a decade from now I'll be like, oh, that <laughs> that was cute, that was quaint. You know, it, it, it's, I'll be pushing on something else. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's quite interesting. Now, what I love with with, with Moana, so you were the effects one of the effects supervisors. Yes, one of two. Myself now, and Dale Maeda. And what I love about that is the effects were essentially characters in that movie. Mm-hmm. So the water was a character. Describe yep. how that's different than typical effects you would do in, in another film, and just maybe just how you felt with being able to take your work and come kind of come back as a character animator, and how that maybe helped you. Even. Even if I can, even going back to the first Frozen was the first time, at least as a supervisor, as an effects lead, where I, I felt the effects were really, really an integral part of the storytelling. You had a character get shoot snow and ice out of her hand, and she's like building an ice palace. And and in um, and in Moana, you also had water that was actually a living character. Mm-hmm. You know, and that part of the world, people feel like the water has the ocean has a personality and you have to show it respect so it didn't it doesn't take much for the guys who directed the a, a living carpet in a latin to go like let's actually make this water a true true character and so we had to work really close with with our brothers and sisters in character animation to give them something that they could actually Animated, we looked kind of like a sock puppet, you know, almost a long tongue or something. When when and then we would actually turn that into water. We would fill it like a like a paper bag full of bubble, like a plastic bag full of bubbles, and then we maybe drip water off of it to kind of make it look more liquid. Um, and very often, when the water as a character would stop acting, it would just turn back into water. That was one of the things that we were, we kind of all decided on to kind of give it a a sense of, of reminding you that this was actually water because, you know, why would the water have to, like, if it was going to nod its head or wave or something, which it kind of does a couple of times in the film, why would it have to sink back down like a whale or a shark, like some creature that lives in the water? Because we never wanted to say that. We wanted to say it was the ocean, not something, that, not a water creature that lives in the ocean. So, I mean, these are the kind of things grown-ups debate and talk mm-hmm. about yeah. <laughs> all day long. Um, so and so that was really that was a lot of fun. It was a huge challenge because um, we had to work very closely with character animation on that, and both with the water as a character and Teka, which was another character that was um, a character on one hand and a huge effect on the other. Yeah, it was amazing. It was the fire and everything you did there with this. Um I mean, you had that element. You had the element of the rock, mm-hmm. um, not the rock, the actor, but the, yeah. you know the lava rock, and yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And then how how that character reacted to the water as well and affected the water. Yeah. So you yeah. had all these things. Oh, so you know, we don't deal in um, realism, and really, we deal in believability. So all these fantastic things we want to actually be believable for the time that you're watching the film, and even afterwards, it stays in your heart as a believable world and so you have this volcano guardian and you take all these elements of a real volcano lava smoke lightning sometimes there's a micro you know micro climates within volcanoes and and you modulate this character's behavior when she's really angry there's more fire and more like lava dripping off and flying off of her Um, so you take these things from from the world the way you, you know people who've ever seen a volcano actually how it actually behaves and you you give those traits to something completely fictional to kind of tie it 
into the, the real world to some degree to help make this a believable world. Yes, at least that's what that, 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 that's that's the hope anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing what goes into it and just having that team and having things evolve. Yeah, because something you may not notice right away, but as you start animating and as you do your test. And that's one cool thing when I visited Steve at DreamWorks. They had this little room with props and things, and they would go act through it and just see how, mm-hmm. it just just the reactions, and they would come up. It'd be very, I wouldn't say organic, but um, it, but you're playing with it all. You're 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 putting that human emotion and 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 those characteristics, and just seeing how it works in the real life. Yeah, and then taking it in because it's not always in your mind. You take a lot of. Um you do a lot of test animation, whether it's, it's, it's reference stuff that you may shoot on a capture stage or things that you actually find in the real world or just animation and effects that you um, just come up with, you know. Um, there, yeah, there's a lot of testing that goes on before you land on this kind of perfect solution or this perfect design or this perfect way of, of how this character is going to be. Uh, which you know seems like oh that's what it would have been all along, but a lot of times it's a it's a uh, it's a long kind of path to kind of get to this perfect. It's place. a process of discovery. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, which which makes it fun. Yeah, you know, look how it evolves and and what you learn from the yeah. experience and how you take take what you've learned from one yeah. film to another. Indeed, and you know the demands of the story change. You know we do we have you know screenings internal screenings. Um, of these films throughout, these are kind of work in progress screenings, and they and most of them change quite a bit from like screening one to you know the final release of the film. So the tests that you're doing um, are really informed by the changes of the story. I mean, everything we're doing is about supporting the story. Definitely, you have served the story. So what was it, what was the first animated film that you worked on? First animated feature film. I worked on was Rover Dangerfield, which was an animated film which that starred um, Rodney Dangerfield as an animated basset hound. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never heard of that one. It's on the YouTube's, man. Yeah, um, and that was um, that, that, that's how I learned like the basics of being like an, an, an effects animator, um, and you know that was a feature film and. In, in some ways, name only because you know it had to show in four theaters to be actually called, a, in four cities to be called mm-hmm. a feature, a, a released feature film, and it did th- th- that minimum and quickly disappeared. I don't think it's on DVD or anything like that. I think it was on VHS for a while. Um, was was that one of those working on it you're, that you forementioned like God, this is kind of a stinker, and or was that? How did you go? I mean, what did you think of that film when you were working on it? Just the concept? I mean, that was your first first foray in the feature-length animation. That has to be exciting in its own right. Yeah, I was just thrilled. I was thrilled to have a regular job. I was thrilled to meet all these people that were like animators and, and, and a lot of folks. You know, there was a lot of animation going on in, in, in the wake of... of the Little Mermaid and Aladdin. They got other people into making animated films, you know. So I wasn't working at Disney, but oh, uh, or you know, in the wake of the Simpsons becoming a TV show, you know, they were like bumpers on the old Tracy Ullman show, like it, you know, and when they when they first came along, and so there was all this animation going on all over, and so I was just thrilled to be working 
on a movie, on a real mm-hmm. movie with you know, Rodney Dangerfield. He's a real comedian. He's been around. He's like an institution, you know. And so, that, I mean, so there were certain, and, and the two directors, um, Bob Seeley and Jim George, they were nice guys, and I really liked them. They seemed to like me, and so it was, it was nice. You know, I was, I was new to Los Angeles, so I, I wasn't working on it, thinking that this thing, this thing is lousy. You know, um, I was just happy to be working on it. Now there are some things when I go back, I think about it now that I'm like. Like they, for for example, they had sequence directors on that. They had six sequence directors, in addition to their two directors, that all had their own take on how Rover should look and act. So if like from sequence to sequence, sometimes he's walking around on all fours, sometimes he's standing on his hind legs, sometimes he's like walking like a typical cartoon character, and it like like that as a concept is just sounds. Like one of those things that sounded good on paper or something, or and but and maybe it served all the people that were in these roles as sequence directors, but a really strange way to make a an animated film. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got to be on the same page, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting how you have you know everyone in their scenes, and that's like looking at someone's reel, like mm-hmm. like they did this scene and this scene, and projecting a bit of themselves in the character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting. And then when you have multiple animators, of course, it's the director keeping all that together. So you have that common thread and that common feel versus think, yeah. having it somewhat sporadic like that film. Yeah. It's at the end of the day, you know, it needs to be the director's vision, you know, and, and, um, and you know, he or she has it all kind of like in their head what they have in mind. Um, and, um, yeah. Gotcha, Indeed. and you, you know it's with the technology now. I mean, there's ways to you know in different markets to to do things. There's ways for independent animators. I mean, Maya, you can get that on your home mm-hmm. computer. There's you know other programs. I'm I'm not the expert on that, uh-huh. but but like with anything, it's all accessible. But still, looking at it, I mean, LA is still like the place for animation. DreamWorks, Disney. Um, you know, you're finding things like Steve went to London because mm-hmm. now there's some different players over there that are, I guess, stepping up to a bigger stage. But as far as new new people getting into animation, I guess, one, the importance of going to a, a bigger market like in L.A. And then uh, and then I guess we can talk about some of the steps they can take before they get to that market. I mean, you're actually talking about people who are actually starting their careers? Yeah, yeah. For instance, I, yeah. my neighbor, his girlfriend, that's one of her dreams to be a Disney animator. Mm-hmm. And before I, this was even on my radar, speaking with you, um, before I knew you were in town, uh, that was one thing I had mentioned. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to go to L.A., but before you get there, there's steps to take and things to learn so you can, I guess, hit the ground running. Well, you know... I'm, you know, I've been there for 25 years, so I don't. It's hard for me to speak about like being a beginner, you know, in any, sure. in any real context as far as I'm out. But, you know, we, we, there's people who actually work at Disney with me that start off as interns and start off as trainees. They know they have really strong reels, or you know, really strong work examples and portfolios. So, there are folks who start there at after college. Um, and but there's other folks that have gone out and worked in smaller studios, worked in TV, 
worked at uh, worked in video games, which is actually bigger than movies. In yeah, video way. games are huge these yeah. days, and the storytelling. So, I mean, yeah. some amazing stories. So there's told. a lot of there's, there's a lot of art like art and talent mm-hmm. there as well. So it's it, it's hard to actually say exactly what path that someone needs to take. You know, it just kind of depends on uh, what they want to do, um, what their um, what their real interests are, what their skill levels are at any particular moment in time. Because, you know, when I got hired at Disney, I had been working in animation for like 10 years on movies like Rover Dangerfield. But, you know, <laughs> on, and, yeah. you know, and things that, that weren't Disney. So, like, you know, they offered me a position there, but it was as a trainee, you know. It wasn't like, come on in and be an effects animator, Marlon. And that was, you know, I was initially kind of got up on my hind legs, man. I was like, really? You know, this is a pay cut. Because like, <laughs> yeah, you had started out, so you had built a certain skill set, but then now you're at Disney, and it's kind of like starting from the beginning. Yeah, well, it was a wake-up call yeah. of like, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm really not all all that, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I started off in their trainee program. Indeed. And, you know, and this was at the, when they were working on Lion King, and it was like most animated films, kind of behind schedule. So it was everybody was working overtime, and I was in the trainee department. So I was like reanimating scenes from like The Little Mermaid or Bambi, redoing splashes. And at six o'clock, when everybody was like lining up for their overtime meals for The Lion King, I was like, okay, bye. See you tomorrow. I'm gonna come in and take a crack at some more old old scenes. Yeah, and. After a few months, they just started giving me stuff to do on anime. I mean, you know, like shadows and tones and things like that. But, you know, I started getting scenes in the movie. So I probably had to get promoted because, like, my my work is on screen. So, um, but, yeah, so it's like everybody has to kind of go at this in their own particular path. There is no, you know, tried and true way of going about it other than being good. You know, it's like there's some things that, you know, it, it's a pretty competitive um, industry. And so having you been able to deliver the goods time after time and, and, and actually have some con- consistency in your and what you're bringing is all important. That tenacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to want it, have to be passionate about yeah. it. And then nowadays, I, th- I think there's... You know, online training courses. That's what Steve he t- he taught some. You know, he'd go animate. There's a lot day, of those. Teach there's some a, courses online and had students in China and all over yeah, the world. Yeah, there's a lot. I've got coworkers who went to traditional colleges and came out not hireable, and then did sessions on you know online animation classes and came up and had examples of good character acting for their reels. They got them their jobs. I can think of a few people like that. Yeah, that's one thing that that in many of our conversations, Steve had mentioned, is knowing the physics of the character and like when mm-hmm. they're, you know, when they're thrust forward and they come back and just understanding just how things work in real life and yeah. translating that. So really, being a student and being studious and being observant and things like that. Yeah, so. just watching the when it comes to effects, actually watching the natural world when it comes to anything that, but. It's not just really the capturing the world the way it is. It's actually caricaturing mm-hmm. a bit. You ha- you have to be in support of like the story and emotional um, 
landscape that you're trying to create. So it isn't um, like capturing reality exactly. It's actually bringing some level of caricature to it and stylizing it. Like, you know, like all the water in Moana, it's not like photorealistic water. It's pretty realistic and it's very believable because, you know, you're trying to do right by people who live in that part of the world and what what the beaches look like there Um, and people who've traveled there and they know and people that are sailors. And I mean, for me, that's the thing that drives me. Can we do a lot of research and people come in and talk to us or we go places and they bring us into their homes and, you know, you want the one to five percent of people who really know what the F they're talking about on a particular subject to go like, oh, yeah, they got that. Yeah, they well, they listened or they got that right. They nailed it. People who actually know. Um, but it's still, the, the water we have in Moana is still bluer than it really is. It actually, actually is reflecting the sky more than you would actually see if you were actually looking into water. You'd see the sand more. So the um, water often, what we were trying to do is capture how that how your environment feels in your in, in your mind's eye or in your heart you know not what your pictures look like on vacation because sometimes they're disappointing you know you're like man that was really good and you like take a picture of something you're like mm, what the heck <laughs> we're trying we're trying to get like what you think it looks like uh-huh. you know how you feel it looks how you remember it definitely and yeah oftentimes we remember things so much differently than than they really are yeah which i, I think that's an amazing part of being human yeah indeed yeah find that interesting so you have an interesting story of what um what spurred you to move to la make that jump uh you were in chicago and uh you had an encounter with with a noted animator (laughs) with a living living legend yeah legend so you know i I was in in chicago and at at the time i had I, i was making making noises about moving to Los Angeles. And I actually came here, came to Los Angeles and took a look around and um, and felt a little emboldened. But I went back to Chicago and at the time there, there was the kind of craze around animation cells. There was like gallery cells were like kind of the thing that for a while. And, and when a lot of these classic animated films were being made, you know, cells were either like just thrown away people gave them to their kids and neighbors you know there wasn't like a cache of like tens of thousands of real cells from warner brothers cartoons and old disney well disney keeps all theirs but um so they were all being kind of created for these these galleries and and there was one gallery in chicago i can't think of the name of it i don't even know it exists anymore but it was like you know running miracle mile on michigan avenue and they were having um, a show devoted to like Hanna Barbera, you know, animation, and and uh, and it was going to be a, a, a big opening, and Joe Hanna and William Barbera were going to be there. So everybody, a little animation folks in Chicago, went scrambling to the opening, and some folks had portfolios, and we're all kind of there. And um, William Barbera showed Joe Hanna wasn't was wasn't there, and um, he was there and he was kind of holding court and there was a bunch of folks standing around, standing around him. And at one point he kind of looks at the assemblage of us and was like, so what do you all do here? 
<laughs> and and it's like the cacophony of voices. We're like we we're animators. We're in, in, in. and and he gets this look on his face, man. <laughs> and he's just like, if you want to do animation, you should be in L.A. And then it was like this response. Everybody like, no, we got Captain Crunch commercials. We got to wait, you know. And I was just like, man, I'm out of here. I was just like, I don't know why that seemed like a like like just such a gauntlet being dropped. And I just, you know, if it was a movie, it would have been one of those shots where it's like somebody's walking towards camera mm-hmm. and like the background is just kind of like fading. I just, I was just out of there. I never, I didn't say it. I didn't say goodbye to anybody. I just like jumped on the old platform and started hatching my plan but I was unfortunately never met him in LA I never like interviewed for a gig there or ran into him anywhere because I would have loved to have told him that story like Ben you're part of the reason I'm here that's cool what was it was he a hero of yours growing up did you watch the you know all the Hanna-Barbera like everybody like everybody I I did like everybody I did you know I you know my heroes were were like like Ray Harryhausen. I was really into those stop motion movies. So I mean, I I was a I enjoyed Hanna Barbera, particularly um, Johnny Johnny Quest. Man, that was like my jam. But um, so I, anyway, I went there because you know he was a a living legend. He was a guy who was like an animator, started his own company, and he you know was huge. Um, so. But yeah, it would. It, it wasn't like meeting like a one of my idols, like it was when I met Ray Harryhausen. That was like some like. Or when Stan did you Lee. meet him? He actually came, you know, to to the studio and get, gave a little talk. Oh, to Disney. To Disney. Yeah. You know, and um, and yeah, he was really really cool. Clash I mean, of the Titans. Wow. Oh man, that was amazing. Yeah, or Jason and the Argonauts is. My, yeah, yeah, oh, that yeah. was my. That was okay. my. So. It was really cool to actually meet him, and you know he, he's was um, very generous, and he, I mean he's a he's a guy who's been told I don't know thousands of times how by anybody from from some schmuck to someone like Steven Spielberg <laughs> yeah. that they're in this business because of you. Yeah, yeah. So he's heard it so many times, and he's so gracious, and he was. Um, Super warm, so he had a very good sense of his place in the Parthenon of yeah. of 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 effects yeah. and, and and movie magic, and he was just a very kind. He was a humble guy, very kind and humble guy. But you know, he, you know, definitely. I mean, I only met him a couple of times, yeah. but um, he had a sense of self worth. But it came. He was not a, like a really kind of braggadocious dude, but he. <laughs> He, he he knew it. He, he he knew his place, you know. Indeed. So once you had you headed out to LA, was that a, an immediate kind of thing? Did you take a month? Did you just pack up right away and and head out? So, I, when I had this like this William Barbera epiphany, <laughs> yeah. um, either right before or after that, you know, I was working at Encyclopedia Britannica doing educational films, and I had all these like bronchial tubes filling with mucus and, and, and stuff like this that I'd done. And I didn't see much appeal for that outside of like educational films. And so I, I, I spent a lot of time just like animating these little short things that I thought would look cool that I could put on my reel in addition to the work I was actually getting paid to do. Um, 
and that kind of worked it worked out because it, it intrigued people like what the hell is this because they weren't they weren't whole films they they clearly weren't something from a TV show or something there was just stuff that I had made up um, but so yeah I had a couple of college friends that were already in LA there were several people there I had two people who were going to let me sleep on their floors I was switching back and forth between whose floor I was sleeping mm-hmm. on and and I had a copy of uh, animation magazine that in those days put out a directory every year of like animation studios and so I had that the 19 you know spring of 89 edition directory and um and a pad of notebook paper and I just started calling numbers and I was just like that's what I did all day calling people and said, you know, hi, I'm Marlon. I do mm-hmm. animation. And, <laughs> and then, you know, that's when I realized yeah. you had to specialize to some degree and say what, you know, what you do. And, you know, the first couple of times I was like, I do everything. Because I did Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, we wrote yeah. those scripts. We storyboarded them. We did the animation. We did cell painting. We um, did all the camera work ourselves. You know, we did everything. Acted in them in those little films sometimes. So it was true but that's not how things you know roll in, in the big show. Yeah, no doubt. So I yeah. had to land, I had to land on something yeah. and somebody looked at I wish I could remember who it was cuz they really did, did me a huge service. They looked at all this goofy stuff that I had done for Encyclopedia Britannica of like, you know, it, and uh hearts beating and blood flowing and stuff bladders filling with urine and all, you know all those kind of cycles I was creating and they were like, "Hmm, uh you should do effects. I never heard of that gig. But the next time I called someone, I was like, hi, I'm Marlon. I do effects. And um, and I had to figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you jumped into effects at that point. And then what was your first opportunity? Who gave you your first opportunity? Um, it was a couple, I had a couple of, I had two early employers there was one guy had a small studio in venice california and he was doing a lot of commercials and things like that and and i was doing kind of character animation for him and but then there was another guy that did a lot of what kind of rotoscoped effects which is when you would actually take live action um a lot of stuff like from um the the like Big Trouble in Little China, like the lightning shooting around mm-hmm. people. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know, so you'd have to trace all those characters like in blue pencil onto a piece of paper and then naturally on, with black ink kind of draw the lightning around them when you're running out of time. Or actually project the, cam- the, the footage from the film onto an animation stand and draw it that way. One, one, one of those two ways. If you had more than one person doing it, only one person could be over in the animation stand, so you'd have to trace off stuff for other folks. So he had done a bunch of like iconic stuff. He had done the Highlander stuff. Yeah, another Cassidy. great movie, Big Trouble. Yeah. great movie. Yeah. Yeah, one of my so favorites. His name is Chris Cassidy. Okay, and he um, he hired me and taught me how to do a lot of that stuff. And then I worked on a California Raisin commercial that had Michael Jackson as a California. Okay, Raisin. all right. Again, kids on on YouTube, um, and a woman named Kathleen Quave Hodge. Um, was doing all the kind of like sparkly magic coming off of Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. glove, and I was her assistant. And then she hired me sometime later to be her assistant on on Rover Dangerfield. 
So I really kind of okay, learned. Okay, so you see how that everything ties in. You yeah. Know, for those listening, how you do one thing and you get to know those people, and they bring you along and give you that other opportunity, yeah. and then that leads to the next opportunity. Yes, kids, don't burn your bridges. Because yes, uh-huh. um, a lot of these same people I'm, I met on some of these earlier projects, I still know. You know, still in the game. Good stuff. So you did the California Raisins. You got your Rover Dangerfield. You <laughs> yes. worked on some independent features like that. At what point did Bay Bay's Kids come in? <laughs> Bay Bay's Kids was made by the same studio that made Rover Dangerfield. Okay, gotcha. It was their next feature. So I worked on um, Bay Bay's Kids after that. And um, so that was a lot of fun. You know, I mean, it was featuring the comedy stylings of Robin Harris. Who he was pretty, I love Robin Harris. Yeah, so, you know, he unfortunately died. Yeah, young age. Like he during, was too soon. He yeah, died during the movie? During the movie. Oh, so that's right. Faison Love, actually a comedic actor, did his voice. Did a perfect impression of him. And uh, and it was um, it was produced and written by um, Reginald Hudlin, who you know had done House Party a couple of years okay, before, and right. went on to do Boomerang, and most recently did Marshall last year, and um, and again another person that you know still still know still he's a great Facebook friend, um, but that was a fun film to mm-hmm. to, to work on. It was a great comedy bit. So that's yeah. one of those. Not every comedy bit, of course fits into a movie yeah. I mean, SNL is kind of yeah. you can tell that from them but yeah he was I love Robin Harris yeah so that was really funny so that was a film that didn't do great but yeah. I remember um, you know after, you know, so after Rover Dangerfield the one two punch of Rover Dangerfield and Baby's Kids that studio kind of got out of the animation racket yeah and so then I that's when I was like oh I wonder who's gonna <laughs> keep making cartoons yeah, and yeah. animated features I kind of like this I've had I've, I've had like two and a half, almost three years of like regular work. And so I um, I went calling to Disney. Yeah. And because uh, I thought they wouldn't stop anytime soon. Not, yeah, not, definitely yeah, not. That was, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah, I was out that. So I mean, Disney's a powerhouse. It's a major leagues, you know, you went yeah. from the minor leagues to the major leagues. Yeah. So, you know, like they, you know, they, 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 be, they sent me to the farm for a yeah. while, you know, yeah. before yeah. they made my bones. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's cool. Indeed. So, and and then upcoming, what are you what are you working on now? I'm working on the sequel to Frozen right now, and um, so that's going to be out in the um, holiday season of 2019. So, yes, yeah, so right around right the now, corner. Right, yeah, it feels right around the corner. Yeah. There's, uh, so this year um, is a Wreck-It Ralph two. Ralph breaks the internet, which I'm not working on, but. Everybody, all, all of my coworkers are hard at work yeah. trying to put the finishing touches on that baby. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, that was so, a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what they do on this one. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be worth a look. Yeah, and Frozen is definitely one of those iconic films that, uh, you know, my niece and nephew love that film. So yeah. They'll be interested to know that a the lot of sequel's folks do. coming out. Yeah. Um, so where are you at in production on that? We're in production. We've got a couple of sequences in production. Okay. And um, we're, we're chugging. Yeah. Full on out. Are you still testing effects, or are you? Um, I mean, how do you? How does that evolve? Because you did a lot of things in the first one. At what what amount carries over, and then what amount do you say we have to top what we did in that first one? And well, coming up with new. Well, Ken, I can only say so much. Yeah, but I, I, you can but, be vague, but but I can I, I can definitely say um, I'm we're we're not inclined to rest on our laurels. Yeah. of like let's do it just like the first Frozen, like from Jennifer Lee, who you know 
is our director, co-director and, and, and writer. No one's looking and Chris Buck and, you know, a lot of the folks that worked on the first Frozen are back for this, as many of us as we could get. Um, and no one's just looking to do the same thing mm-hmm. again, you know, except different, you know, it's not one of those kind of sequels. Well, I guess one and what I'm getting is one interesting thing is at points you're developing new technology to do different things. Mm-hmm. So you have like the past things you've done. It, has this movie got to the point where you've had to develop any new technology for anything, or it's like okay, we have to have this kind of software, and you're innovating? I uh, th- I, I can just say yes. Okay, I, That's yes, cool. we've had to create some new stuff. Yeah, all right, and, yeah. By all means, and and how much uh, how much hand do you have in? I mean, what what's your role in creating that? Or do you have like a software department that helps you create the the um, there's the, the technology the, you need to as, tell the story? As a studio, we 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 have we there's some stuff we use off off the shelf. There's a lot of things we do um, our, our d- developers create for us. Um, in some ways, there's even things we do within our department our, ourselves, some tools, some rigs that we actually create. So it just it depends on the, on, on the problem, what the solution is going to be. Gotcha. That's interesting. You know? So very yeah. solution oriented. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because it's not like our filmmakers, our directors go, what are you guys good at? <laughs> Let me make a movie based on what you do well already. Yeah. Never in the twenty five years I've been there, no one's ever like said. So it's really easy, Marlon, mm-hmm. and let me let me get right to work on <laughs> creating a film that actually exploits all the talents that you guys already have. Um, so you know, so there's there, there's always the the, the drive that the, the thing that creates that drives our our innovation, both technically and creatively, is are just creative challenges. Mm-hmm. The storytelling challenges is the stories that people want to tell. Are there any situations where you guys pull something out or, or come up with something that maybe just tweaks the story a little bit and, and kind of adjust it, or is it completely locked into the script? Oh, and no, there's sometimes we come up with something that actually makes it into um, the, the the script, um, makes it into the final film. Gotcha. Every once in a while, we you know because we're we're doing like test scenes, like you yeah. know, in the first Frozen, we were doing like just even hand-drawn mm-hmm. animated effects tests and things like that. And some things were like, "Oh, that's kind of cool idea. Let's have you know, like the like the fountain freezing to some degree um, came from just like an effects test, uh, and and it doesn't freeze in the way that like the effects animator who mm-hmm. created that test did, but the idea of 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 her magic being so strong, so suddenly, so could take something that's fluid and in in a microsecond turn it into a solid um that kind of came out of you know came out of some effects Mm -hmm. work we did and i think even in big hero six even the idea of those guys actually teaming up using their natural talents and their tools together to come up with some of these solutions came up came out of some of the kind of work we were doing the week that the department did and then picks pitched to the story department mm-hmm. like wouldn't it be cool if this did that look at this effect yeah yeah and so there's a there's a give and take you know i mean it's all about like the you know the best idea wins definitely and it's that collaboration yeah. and having having those directors that are open to that kind of thing yeah. and letting their imagine you know something that stimulates their imagination yeah. that you're 
you're showcasing and yeah that's really cool you know something i mean there's there's areas where they know exactly what they want Mm -hmm. and then there's areas that are kind of up for up up for for grabs you know um so nice so then there's you know there's sometimes these spaces where you can kind of say well maybe it could be this that's cool. You know. It gives you a little bit of extra, uh, that bit, a little bit of ownership and well, something that just... Everybody's uh, an artist you. there. And, you know, in, in, at least myself as a leader, I'm always trying to give opportunities for people to feel like they've got some level of authorship of the shot. Like, like you, know, you know, at Disney, if, like, if we have an, a shot with like six effects in it, we don't give it to six people. Like you do the fire, you do the rocks because you're really good at those mm-hmm. rocks, man. You know, we give it, to one artist, so she or he says, that's my shot. Mm-hmm. And they may have to go talk to other people to make sure they get it right or use that rig and, and that someone else created. But um, in any opportunity we can to give somebody like authorship of a, of a shot up mm-hmm. on screen, they can go like, that's me, that's me. Um, yeah, 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 definitely push a little harder when you have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now, another thing, talking about pushing harder, you uh, <laughs> push-ups. You've been you, a lot of push-ups that you've you've been doing every day. I've and been, the, I've been doing push-ups a lot in 2018. Yes. Yeah. How, how many? What's your push-up total now? Um, Nine thousand three hundred and twenty-seven as of this morning. Holy cow! And yeah. then tell everyone why you, why you're doing that many push-ups. Okay. It's not so, just to get buff. No, no. I <laughs> I um get swole as the so, kids say. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm doing a project called uh, One for Each, which is a push-up for every life lost to gun violence in 2018. So um, I do a set of push-ups anywhere between, on an average of 35 to 45, mm-hmm. sometimes as high as 67. Super Bowl Sunday was a, a low of 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, post a, post a video on social media, go out and find a little quiet spot that's, bo- that's either... A, Hopefully compelling, but not too too cute. Mm-hmm. And um, drop and do a set in honor of the folks that died the day before. Now the '67, you're doing all those in, in one one setting. Yes, you're hitting. Wow, that's a lot of push-ups. That was that that was a tough one, man. Oh my god. And that was, I mean, the, the, the weird thing about that day, which which it was just a day. It was like June 11th. Mm-hmm. There was not like a mass shooting or anything like that. That was just the day or bunch of Americans mm. killed each other. Yeah. So it didn't make the paper. It wasn't, there, w- there was no kind of like banner headline, deadliest yeah. day in America. Cause, only because I'm just a guy who goes on and looks every day, yeah. subtracts the yesterday's total from the, the that day's total. It it occurred to me. Where And where do you get your stats? So there's a, there's a site called gunviolencearchive.com mm-hmm. and it is a, it's, just keeps a tally, you know. It's um, they, they have just like a, an agnostic count mm-hmm. that they do of every gun death, and uh, so they zero out the count on uh, midnight on the thirty first every year. It starts at one and mm-hmm. starts cl- clicking up, and um, so I, you know, I did a screenshot at midnight of everything all zeroed out and. Um, I think posted that the first day, and then I think the on January second, I did thirty-seven push-ups uh-huh. for people who died, for the thirty-seven people who died on the thirty on the first, yeah, January first of this year. Wow! So I'll do, I'll do it every day until um, 
January 1st of 2019 for folks who died on the 31st. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah. And and then what what was your motivation behind that? When did you get the idea to, I'm going to do these push-ups and raise awareness? You know, I got, you know, there was this 22-kill campaign back in 2016 that was actually to bring awareness of the 20, roughly 22 um, veterans who commit suicide mm. every day in America. Yeah. And that was like a viral thing. That was like something that like, Ken, I tag you and two other people to do 22 push-ups mm-hmm. for 22 days. So, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So my news feed was full of push-ups. And, you know, some celebrities yeah. did it. You know, it was, it was like, it, it was like the uh, ice bucket challenge. Um, and so that kind of stuff. And then I was actually got tagged like in, in May of that year, which happens also to be like Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay. So I went through... I didn't just do it for 22 days. I did 22 push-ups for like all of mm-hmm. of May of that year. And then I did just push-ups to raise awareness for Mental Health Awareness Month last year. And I'm not quite sure what motivated me to do a month of push-ups to gun violence last year. But then when I did it, I was I just started, I got preoccupied with mm-hmm. how, many, how many people die and that there's... You know, people who have just like any kind of sense of reasonable gun control don't have the same level of intensity on the subject. So I, I just decided to just have a, um, just to hopefully spark conversation potentially for a, a year on the subject. You know, I'm just I don't I don't talk in the videos. I I, I just bang out to push-ups, mm-hmm. and maybe you think that's too many push-ups. Maybe you don't think that's too many push-ups, yeah. but you know, um, folks can talk about it if they want. And you're mixing it up. So, so do you choose like a day where there's 67? Do you say, all right, I'm going to do this type of push-up on this day because it's you know a little simpler or, or more manageable to? Yeah, I do a standard push-up most yeah. days. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, I mean, these aren't workout videos, but I do like push-ups as a general you know all over body workout. oh yes yeah, you know, it works your core yeah, yeah it works yeah. your core you can move your hands different places mm-hmm. closer to your body further away from your chin mm-hmm. so like on days where i'm doing like 20 or 30 i might do a different kind of push-up and staggered mm-hmm. things like that just to kind of mix it up a little bit but on a day when it's 67 it, it that is like a like a standard Standard push-up, yeah. and I do them. I do them kind of, kind of fast because I, one, I just I only want the videos to be about a minute long, um, and and then I'm always afraid somebody's going to walk in the frame or something because I do them <laughs> in a public place. Yeah, yeah. Public places more times than not. So that's the other thing. I spend a goodly amount of time looking for cool, cool settings yeah, yeah. for them uh, because um, you know I'm doing 365 of them so I don't want them to be super boring Cause if, you know, even though like, yeah people look at them and hopefully tune in <laughs> well I talked on this very podcast uh, to uh, my friend Eric Grossman who is a trainer mm-hmm. and you did this one push up that was kind of like a fly and oh like the know- archer push up where you go yeah. side to side yes again I was so intrigued <laughs> I wanted to find out what that was called and yeah. I, I mean I've never seen that push up I hadn't either you know I did <laughs> 
I did, <laughs> when I decided to do the um, Mental Health Awareness Month for a whole month, and I want to do a different push-up every month. Mm -hmm. So I started doing a lot of push-up research. I probably, I probably had like 15 push-ups in mm -hmm. my push-up wheelhouse yeah. before <laughs> I became devoted to doing push-ups all the time on video. Um, so I, I, I did some research, and there was some that I just can't do. Mm -hmm. like I'm, you know, 55 years old man, and I'm not, you know, and and I'm, and, I'm, and because I have to do a lot of them mm -hmm. most days, um, trying to like throw myself into air high enough to clap and put my hands back down. That yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not busting. <laughs> I'm not busting like 30 of those. Yeah, you know, I can maybe do like 10 of those, um, but. Yeah, that's a day to celebrate a day when there's only five. Yeah, so yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, five I'll, I'll try that. And, yes. you know, yeah. So hopefully you'll get to do those. You'll have that day where that's a celebratory. Oh, we didn't have that many this, this yeah. day. So like when I when I do, like when I have lower counts, I can do more kind of pyro, pyrotechnic push-ups. <laughs> pyrotechnic, yeah, <laughs> put that effects. I can do, yeah, I can do, yeah, I can do, I, I can do a more elaborate push-up. Yeah. Yeah, so that's and that's called the Archer push-up. That, that yes, the, the, yes, okay. that's one where you're going from side I'm, to side. I'm gonna look that one up. Yeah, I'm gonna try that. Look it up. That's cool. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's a hard subject to talk about. It um, is because we're so polarized, and you know, and people have, I don't know. It's it's a hard subject to talk about. Then there's not knowing the solution, and I guess we got to look at really like why is this happening? You know, what is the, the condition of our culture and our society where? You know why are we so violent and and all this is happening and people are murdering you know others on on such a high rate? Yeah, that, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of whys and, and you know yeah. and, and in the meantime, um, I don't know how much we can, you know, solve all the ills mm -hmm. of, of of our society. And I don't, you know, frankly, I don't know how much more addicted to video games or porn or violent mm -hmm. as individuals Americans are to Japanese or Swedes or Germans yeah. or Australians or anybody else. I don't think we're predisposed as a nation of people to be more violent yeah. than other nations. I I just don't think so. I think we got more guns everywhere. Yeah, it's easier. It's just, we have easier gun, access. It's easier. You, we have you, easier access. Yeah, you'd lose your temper and it, you pull that trigger yeah. and then you're like, oh And I'm not shit, looking what? to, you know, and, you know, People enjoy guns. People hunt yeah. with them. People yeah. like collecting Sports, them. Yeah. People have There's people mm -hmm. who actually are an hour away from their nearest law enforcement. Um, these people need guns. They should have guns. Yeah, Anybody yeah. who wants a gun in this country who's not going to do other people dirt yeah, yeah. should have them. Man, you know, I'm, I'm you know, and, and to me, it's not about really less guns. It's probably less guns in the hands of people who don't. Shouldn't, shouldn't have, have guns. them. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, you know. I mean, if people locked their gun, if people had gun locks more often, you know. Yeah, because how many of those deaths are like children that children, are I mean, playing with one? Not everybody who that doesn't think a, their kids know where their guns are yeah. are deluding themselves. Yeah, you know, they aren't they aren't locked up. I mean, don't take my word for it. Just ask ask any policeman. Yeah, gotcha. Who's gone to a crime gotcha. scene? Um, and you know, real background checks. You know, mm -hmm. I think only like sixty percent of guns, you know, have background checks in yeah. this country. Gun sales, so stuff like that. Yeah, so there's some basic things we can do. Just that basic still stuff. Maintain the rights and you know. All yeah, that. man, yeah. low low totally. ha low hanging fruit. Totally. Um, yeah. If you've got if you've got a protective order against yourself, 
you know, I mean, that was the real wake up call for this thing, for, at least for me, is, you know, I started trying to post stories so it wasn't just to be about the number. And I'm like, well, how do I just take one one murder? There's so many. So I decided to like go for like one or th- two or three or mm-hmm. more. And most of those are murder suicides along, you know, culminating after some, you know, culminating after years of like domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And there's like one or two of those every day. Yeah. And you know, maybe if you got a protective order against you, you shouldn't have a gun. Yeah. I don't know. So you so it's at, stuff yeah, like it's just yeah. stuff like that. It's just like to me what I would think of as like low hanging fruit. I'm not sure. trying to like ban anything. Gotcha. You know. But it's just having a better understanding because I that's one thing I didn't think about and just by you looking at the t- uh, statistics you know, this is so many. This is this. This is this. Yeah. You, it paints a, you paints a different and, and picture. And you have a better day, understanding of what's going on. I, I'm just trying to like spark conversations with people. Yeah. I'm, I'm a guy. I think who, it's important. I'm a yeah. car, I'm a guy who makes cartoons for a living. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm not a, 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 a hardcore advocate or anything like that. But I just, um, I felt it was just something to do, just to have like a a, a conversation for like yeah. a solid year, have it just be there. That's good. And I think we need to have those conversations. We need to listen and a little more than just, you know, jump on our stance and, and not have an understanding. Well, yeah. I think that's good. It could be a tough conversation, but that's good. But uh, Well, thanks, man. Well, let's jump to a little easier. Con- we'll finish with a little easier conversation. Sure. Music. So you had stated you're a huge music fan. And that's one thing I'd mentioned to you, Tony. Uh, was here, had a birthday party, had some of my friends play. This this room just sounded great. Oh yeah, and I didn't realize that Tony was such a, you know, a fan of music, someone that's really enjoyed it. And Indeed. you talked about your music collection. Who, what, what music do you enjoy? And how did you? When did you learn to enjoy that? Was it some of your parents passed down as well? My parents were always uh, there was always music playing in our yeah. house, you know, and uh, you know a lot, a lot of you know came up in the came of age in the seventies, so a lot of Motown and yeah, you know, 70s, Motown 70s soul and funk. My parents were both like big big dancers, you know, yeah. they'd have house parties when we were kids, and so I mean I, that that's where I kind of started, but you know I was also at an age where you know you know. Duke Ellington was still alive. Uh-huh. Count Basie was still alive. Those people would show up on like daytime talk shows yeah. and things like that. So it was like an easy jump into into jazz. Like I don't know I, I, if you're 18 year, like, years old now, like jazz seems like the Baroque period or something. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, the, 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 a lot of these yeah. major figures of of, of 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 American popular music were like alive and kicking mm-hmm. still. And so, I mean, so I really like jazz and and uh, like reggae with people a few years back were calling world music, a lot of Af- mm-hmm. African music, Afro pop. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I love my, world my, music. My, oh, my, ta- my so taste cool. goes like all, o- yeah, all, yeah. all over the place because mainly because I love the connections. Um, and that's one of the things I love about jazz is people play on each other's records and, you know, you can be a band leader but still go and play and mm-hmm. do sets with someone else. So I do love how music influences other music i love how you know james brown influences fela I and mean, who then influences the talking heads and it's just all that stuff you know and angelique kijo is touring right now doing remain in light mm-hmm. you know uh, you know she's released her own version of it so it's just like all these things are just kind of interconnected and i i, I just love it you know yeah i just listened to mark maron's podcast with joe walsh and he was talking about how 
one of his influences was doo-wop. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't get into like a lot of the old blues players until he was talking to Jimmy Page and a lot of the British guys that he befriended. Yeah. And then, you know, they were enamored by, you know, that genre and those musicians. And then so Joe Walsh started to, you know, research and listen to more of that. And then that's how that influence came to him from from the Brits. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing how just having those conversations and interactions with people and how you find these other influences and other cool things that you may not have known about it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, amazing. And so you have a pretty big, you know, a lot of vinyl. What's your... I, you know, it, it, I do have a lot of vinyl, and sometimes I DJ once, okay, you know, right on. still from time from time to time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I have to admit, I, I, I stream a lot of music now. I listen to a lot of music digitally. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for those super long playlists, man. I was, I, I've got playlists that are like 48 hours long holy is this you know? one of your playlists or yeah is this, oh yeah. nice so get the marlon west jump on the marlon west playlist on spotify is yeah i've one? got a couple of public right. playlists i've got like an 80s playlist okay. and and a couple of reggae ones that are just yeah they're 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 they're, they're pretty good go on they go on for a minute all right that's you know? cool and um so you know but i i yeah i, I still will collect you know collect vinyl yeah. and listen listen to records and spin them out once in a while um but yeah i just i, I love music anyway i can kind of yeah definitely it. i just gonna be getting into spotify and i'm thinking about some playlists myself and yeah, it's attach fun, it man. to. i got into it you know i have to say man got spotify it, it kind of lured me in because my, my my daughter was into a lot of music mm-hmm. you know as a, as a as a younger kid that i w- didn't necessarily want to buy okay i'm yeah. like all right let's let's, <laughs> let's let's play you a little put you a little playlist together and yeah. listen to that around the house and then and i was like well i don't feel like going out and getting that clash album out of you know <laughs> the guest house so i'll just play it here on spotify yeah you know or i you know i don't feel you know i i, I know that record is here I, i've got it but yeah. i'll just play it here and yeah i just started making all these it's playlists convenient. yeah yeah and it's nice it's cool to make the playlist it is because back in the day it was a mixtapes and this and that right? I, I just make paper lists of all the oh, songs dude, I, used to make I, a lot. And, yeah. I still have a lot of my mixtapes man all right and a lot of them they were given to me by people i still got yeah because that i mean that was actually one of the, the real measures of a of a friendship or a romance yeah i made this mixtape for you yeah. Yeah. With, with, with a with a hand drawn, you know, hand drawn, hand written, you know, song list, and then because we would even like slip a piece of paper over like those songs. Yeah. Of of just art, just artwork. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah. When I was in the navy, I I DJed. We had a, a I was on an aircraft carrier, so we had a, like the inner ship system and all that. So we had a little radio station, a television station, and so. uh you know, I love Van Halen. So I took everybody I knew, I, I took a poll on like their favorite Van Halen songs and did like a countdown. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. I, I doubt if I have that anywhere, but that would be kind of, now I can make my Van Halen playlist. You you, you can. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Gonna, it's, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. It's like open Pandora's don't box. Say, don't, can, don't say I didn't warn you. All right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Because you can do, I've got a couple of playlists that... I would only share with, with limited folks that are yeah. just like the same song or same couple of songs okay. like over and over because there's like some songs that get played that, just, that are standards you know yeah that, uh, that you know Wichita Lineman man you know there's like several great versions of that you know and uh, any number of songs but yeah all right, I'm gonna have to playlist. research that, and then I have to figure out when yeah. what song to you know, Seven Nation Army. Like there's a bunch of okay. a bunch of cool versions of that. So yeah, yeah, you can yeah. just type in the. 
some, is pretty, some standards. That is pretty amazing how you can find the different versions. And of a lot of songs. It's cool. Yeah. It's convenient where you can't always, you know, going out to buy the album and it may not be an album I want, but if I listen to it a bunch of times on Spotify and whatnot, then, yeah, then I may want to add that to the collection. Yeah. But yeah, cool. I don't typically listen to the car because it, uh, you know, sometimes when the internet fades or the cell connection, I just don't like that to interrupt it. So yeah. I'll still throw a CD in the car and listen to an album I in still that like fashion. Buy, I still like to buy stuff. You know, I, I don't, <laughs> frankly, I don't want artists only, you know, to do only have to tour yeah to to get paid it's tough it's, man they, it's tough because i support a lot of artists as well i want to keep hearing more things so yeah. it's yeah it's uh it's an interesting world we're in right now in the music world indeed so it's cool well marlon thank you so much yeah um, my pleasure yeah Thanks this for is having a, me. this is a lot of fun it's better it's great to get to know you better learn a little more about animation and talk about music yeah cool man thanks for having me this yeah. was wonderful thanks buddy and i'll keep following you on uh on facebook to the you know and i'll i'll put the uh, link for the push-up challenge so yeah people can get a little more awareness and see what you're doing with that yeah by all means thanks thank you sir all right